dive deep into the realm of large language models, prompt engineering, and best practices. With over 25 years of combined AI and product engineering experience, here are your hosts, Bradley Arsenault and Justin Macarin. Hello, Justin. Hello, Brad. Justin, you know, I've had a lot of clients come to me over the years that get like super excited about integrating AI into their products. And we're, we're seeing this now where it's like every product under the sun, if it had a text box, it now has a little generate what goes in this text box with AI. People are just throwing it over here, throwing it over there, throwing it up here. You know, they, they see AI as, as like necessary, as like a needed competitive advantage. But, but, but if all of them are doing it, using, using all of these different tools and they all now have writing assistance, is it actually a competitive advantage? Yeah, I guess it's, it's a good question. I think that it's, it's difficult to kind of understand the value prop today because we're seeing a lot of hype in the market, right? Everybody, everybody's implementing AI everywhere. We have these GPT wrappers that are calling themselves businesses. We have GPTs for yeah. AI. We have the GPT marketplace now. Everybody's kind yeah. of integrating GPT this, GPT that. And and at the end of the day, yeah. it's it's so easy to implement that because anyone can implement it, it's often not being implemented in the best way. It's not, you know, being implemented in a way that's that's judicial, like you mentioned. Um, and I guess I'd love to hear maybe a personal example of yours have had have you ever seen I mean, that yeah there? i being there done that right like i worked for four months on a startup called Floatbot, and i spent a little time in denial there i was just like no this isn't a gpt rapper this is this is something there's more here like i didn't even know what it was and like eventually i had to admit to myself i'm like it really this really is just a gpt rapper like this is an easy to copy product with not a whole lot of value over top of like existing products. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of that. Like we're, the marketplace is getting flooded with all of these tools that really don't do a whole lot. You know, they're not, they're, they're not they're like, they're like they're kind of conveniences and they're, they're more um, uh, useful maybe than using ChatGPT directly. But like, it's not, they don't have moat. You know what I mean? They have no, how will they survive in the marketplace? How will they compete? The AI itself is not competition. You know, they're, they're all trying to ride first mover advantage. Basically that's their only thing. Well, if, if I guess if, if everyone's doing the same thing, it's no longer a competitive advantage. It's just, you got to do it as well. Um, so I guess what is a possible competitive advantage and, and has, you know, the way of building these competitive moats, these, these competitive advantages, has it really changed all that much over the last few years? Or has it changed last year magically when GPT appears? Best, best practices when it comes to businesses kind of also disappeared or? You, you know, I don't, I think the basics really have not changed. Like, like you said, like AI has kind of gone from competitive advantage to table stakes. But if you're trying to think about how to build a business, don't think about I'm going to build an AI business. Think about, uh, you're going to build a business to solve a problem. You know, I, I read, um, reread lean startup recently. 
Okay. Falk is now getting old. You know, he's talking about downloading exe files, and I'm like, whoa. That has been a while since I have done that, you know. I download Google Chrome when I install Windows. That's about it, you know. The, 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 the things that make a good startup back when he wrote that book have not changed. 2005, 2010, 2015, 2020, 2024. It's the same basic principles are, that are still at play. The, the, the things that make good startups back then still make good startups now, you know. And I think it's helpful for us to kind of maybe just go through some of those. What are those basic competitive modes that you can use to to build a business? I like it. So so we have a list over here of four or five different competitive modes, and and just let's go through them, right? So I guess the first one is just having expert domain knowledge in a space that's very difficult to gain expert domain knowledge. And you know, with that expert domain knowledge, now there's a lot higher likelihood that you um, close um, a customer base that may be very challenging for others to close. Um, there may be a possibility for you to provide value that um, may be missed by very large percentages of the market. I'm not sure yeah. if, if, if in your opinion, you know, having this expert domain knowledge, there are other components there where, where we can actually build a competitive mode. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like th th this should be the basic core of any competitive mode is just like you understand your specific customers better than your competitors do. You've dived into a niche, you know, instead of just making another like marketing advertising engine, you know, you're doing something weird like water treatment uh, AI or something like that, where it's like, it's not easy to become an expert in like water treatment. Like that's a it's a whole own universe, you know. So like, if you are willing to invest the time to become an expert in say water treatment, uh, you're not gonna have a whole lot of competitors. Like right. I think that basic just domain knowledge, just being an expert in that specific field, that's like number one. Like that's the number one way to get a competitive model. I, I love it. And I think that there's almost like a comeback today in 2024 where VCs are investing more heavily or they're at least more invested in these unsexy businesses because everybody's doing yeah. AI. Like people are, are refocusing their attention on actual value creation. And I guess this leads us to our next point, which is intellectual property. We know that intellectual property is important. A lot of people kind of yeah. throw that word around. IP this, IP that, patent this, patent that. But what does real good intellectual property look like for a company today for them to have a competitive mode? That's a good question. And I think we should start by saying just because you've got some GitHub repository and like two years of commits and a whole pile of code, you, you do technically have IP, quote unquote, but you don't have a competitive mode just because you've got a GitHub repository with a bunch of code, you know? It's like, what what makes that IP valuable is that someone else could not easily write the same GitHub repository. And, you know, like, having that code that is difficult to write, you know, that was true in 1990. It's, it's still true in 2024. I do think there's one additional piece of IP that, that maybe this is where the game has changed a little bit, is that code is no longer the only piece or even the most sexy piece of IP. You know, there's, there's something else and that's the data, right? So, so how can data play 
a role in our IP strategy in 2024, I guess. Do companies with no data, do like, should they focus on collecting a high value data set that may be more proprietary in nature, maybe purchase it, maybe, you know, do the yep. very hard work of collecting it? Yes, yes. Like, I think that the, the, the data, the good data is difficult to get. Just like writing, if you were to try to write Google search from scratch, like that, that code is hard to write. Same thing with the data. What makes that, that data valuable is not just that you have data. It's not like, oh, I've got a gigabyte in my database. Like, okay, whatever. You know, it, it, it's the fact that the data was hard to get and, and would be hard for your competitors to get. Coming back to the water treatment example, if you were to go collect a bunch of data to feed your water treatment to AI, you might have to physically go down there, take samples, you know, install measuring equipment. You have to develop partnerships with water treatment centers. All, all of those steps make that data difficult to acquire for you. And what makes it difficult for you also makes it difficult for your competitors. You know what I mean? I, I like it. Um, Let's let's go down to to the next competitive mode over here, or 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 the next competitive advantage, and that's basically brand and marketing dominance. Having yeah. some sort of very very strong go to market strategy, or some sort of you know first mover advantage, and I think that we saw a really good example of this with um, Langchain, right, where they came out with a product. Um, it was open source or even open AI, yeah. right? They came out with a commercial product. Um, they were very first to market. And as a result, they captivated a huge audience. And I know that we chatted about this very, very early on when we first started to chat about this podcast, about how that first competitive or, or, or that first mover advantage was so important for Langchain, how it was so important for open AI. And how it may continue to remain important when there's a market participant that enters a new space. Yeah, I guess like it, the fact that they were first means that everybody knows about them, you know? It's just like because Langchain was the first library of its type. It doesn't matter if they have uh, expert domain knowledge or unique data set or even unique code. In fact, they have none of those things. But what they do have is brand dominance. Everybody's got brand awareness. And, and that like everybody knows about Langchain and that obviously that, that helps it a lot. Like that, that's its main competitive moat. Doesn't have to be a good product. It just has to be the most popular product, right? Yeah, I, that's that's exactly it. And 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 I guess if if we push back a little on this though, is if we have a go to market, you know, competitive mode or a first mover advantage competitive mode, I think that it's important to note that we should hurry up and potentially find a new competitive mode because there's a chance that we end up like AOL, American Express, or uh, 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 America Online. You know, or we yeah. end up with Lyft next versus time. Uber. Yep. Lyft Google versus is Yahoo. First mover advantage helps, but it's not it's not the panacea. You can easily get displaced when a new product arrives if it's a better product. Well, so I guess it helps for the first year or two. And then you gotta hurry up and figure something yeah. else. Yeah, and exactly. And then use use it, capitalize it while you've got it, but definitely move towards a unique data set, move towards 
difficult to acquire IP. Move, you know, move towards domain knowledge. Don't not stick with first mover advantage. That's not long term. I like it. So I guess when when we think about these things, right? And when we think about building technology versus building value, how are these two things different? Because what I'm seeing today is that it's just so easy to build technology that we're seeing everyone do it, right? You mentioned this GitHub repo thing. Everybody can build GitHub repos. I could build a GitHub repo. I did it the other day with one line of code. I built, I, I, I scaffolded an entire CRUD application, right? Like, it's not really that difficult to build an application. Yeah. Um, but I guess to build value, that still remains a challenge because yeah, competition there because there's money to be made. Yeah. So is the difference between just building technology and building value the fact, like whether your technology is getting used? Like, is, is that the defining difference, do you think? Is just like... You can write a bunch of code, and if it, it's not getting used, it's not valuable. Or is there I, more there? I think it may be more than just getting used because I think code can be used or applications can be used um, due to hype. I think that applications can be used, you know, um, due to very strong go-to-market strategies and sales. Um, but I think yeah. that when it comes to actually creating value, um. I think that there's a little like how it gets used there. matters. Yeah, how it gets used definitely matters. And it's very difficult for me to articulate in words, and maybe I'm not the best person to do that, but I think there's a little extra magic there that's extremely, extremely difficult to get to without doing a lot of hard work. And I think it's it's you know, it's something that a lot of people try to 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 deviate around or 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 they try to skip that process because, you know. They, they see other people in the space be successful and they say, oh, I don't need to do that. You know, there's an easier way, but I don't think there is. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think there is either. You can't, you, you have to focus on, actually, there's a good quote. I don't, I have no idea who it comes from, but like the question that I've heard asked is like, if your startup just imploded, would your customers make any meaningful action to save your ass? Yes. If they, they find out you're imploding, they're like, oh, shit, and they're panicking, you've got value. And if, if you implode and they're like, oh, shit, we got to switch over to the competition. Okay, we'll spend two hours migrating the data, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you ain't got no value. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I guess the, yeah, friction um, or, or, or at least friction to move away from your application may be also a competitive moat. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. we didn't even discuss that one. That's, oh, I hate that one though. <laughs> this is good, Brad. And <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, um, for an interesting discussion. I hope this was somewhat valuable for our listeners. Thank you so much, Justin. And, um, let's discuss this again. I think there's more on this topic. Good stuff. Take care, Brad. Talk to you later. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe and stay updated on our latest content. We appreciate your support.